0: So, it's been a while since I've been up here with the microphone preaching. Um, I'm always up here with the microphone, it's been a while since preaching. Um, Yeah, um, so we finished our series last week. I know it was delayed because of Mike's illness, and poor Mike's now ill again. Um, But Mike finished our series off. So, I'm going to just really share something that God um, kind of showed me and spoke to me about. Um, King's Church within Shore, in particular, um, while um, I was on sabbatical. Um, so I'm hoping to kind of help us unpack that word a little bit and, and really start thinking about what God is saying to us um, as um, the community. So my my grandfather is an extremely um, keen gardener. Always, always, always has been um even now at 91 years old um you will find him spring summer and autumn not so much in the winter these days you know you won't go down there so much uh, in the winter you'll find a potter in the garden um if we go and visit him the doors the doors to the house are always open there's no way he's nowhere to be seen it's like he's down the garden and even theo knows now we go straight out of the garden where we go to grandpa harry's um, his garden used to be full of prize flowers, um, and he would actually take them to shows. And I remember, as a as a child growing up in the in the in the summer months, you know these huge chrysanthemums, roses, the scent of sweet peas filling the air. Um, and you know it was just it was just his lawn was pristine. You know the kind of lawns are when it, they're like in stripes. Uh, he used to cut them and he I'm sure he used to use a ruler. Um, it was that, it was that pristine. Um, you know, he spent hours cultivating and weeding and rearranging, replanting. And every season, he was always thinking about the next. So he wasn't sat there enjoying the fruits of his labour. He was constantly thinking about, right, what do I want me to do next for uh, the next season? but sometimes sometimes you catch him sat down with his cup of tea and just enjoy enjoying the work enjoying the splendor of his garden and we used to go over every thursday for tea that used to be our little routine after school thursday at my nan and grandpa's and in the summer months after we'd eaten my nan and I would go down into the garden taking her extremely sharp extremely sharp, sewing scissors, which I was never allowed to touch, it's very much my Um And we would cut the fresh flowers for my mum, um, my mam. Um And the months of work, the months of growing, of coaxing and tending from my grandpa was now in advance for my mother to enjoy, and he loved that. You know, the, that kind of sense of, of he created something from seed, it's grown, it's flourished, and somebody else is enjoying that so during sabbatical i was out cutting the grass so something of my grandfather obviously rubbed off for me um, a little bit <laughs> and god started to speak to me about king's church within shaw and he showed me a picture of a wild flower meadow i absolutely love wild flowers i really wanted a, a bouquet of wild flowers for my wedding okay i really wanted something just fra- kind of fresh kind of wild and i can remember sitting there with the florist and said i don't want any roses Alas, when my flowers were rocked up. Um, you know, it was a perfect, beautiful arrangement of roses, and I was like, great. You know, and it grated on me for so many reasons. One, I hadn't listened to, and I was paying this woman to do a job, obviously. Um, but also, it was it was the perfectionism of it. You know, they were all in this lovely little kind of. I don't know, bouquet, and, and, and every flower looked exactly the same, alright? There was different, kind of, there was pinks and there was whites in there, but it felt like it'd been manipulated to form a certain shape. It wasn't natural, it wasn't wild, it wasn't me. And, and uh, that's one of the things, you know, people always say, if you could change something or do something different about your wedding day, I was like, I'd do my own flowers um, because I'd get what I want then. So the picture of a wildflower meadow, God said that we're not meant to be a garden where the pots are perfect, with an array of perfectly curated flowers. The grass isn't meant to be perfectly cut, edges clean and sharp, but we're a wildflower meadow. We are meant to be a community that is like a wildflower meadow. And I'm gonna unpack that this morning for us so you know out of season wildflower meadows just look like long grass i don't know if you've walked um kind of in a, a wildflower meadow when it's not in bloom but it's just long grass but in that long grass is a place of safety for many insects and small animals it's a place of refuge for them it's a place where they can rest and recuperate where they can grow and they can mature you know in other seasons the flowers start to bloom the tops of the meadows are then full of butterflies dancing across the flowers, obviously bees everywhere, um, jumping from one bloom to another, pollinating and being fruitful. Wildflower meadows display life. Where the natural being of plants, insects, birds, animals coexist. They're not artificially displayed or grown, they're left to grow. And as long as they're getting the necessities of sun and water, they will thrive. And they are a perfect example of our Creator's garden. And I'm going to read the whole of Genesis 1 to us this morning. So that's whole 31 verses. Wow, I'm sure you'll be able to cope. So here we go. If you want to follow with me then. It's the easiest one to look for. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water from the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation. Seed bearing plants and trees are the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, vegeta- oh, sorry, Vegetation. plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed, it, seed in it according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the vault of the sky. So God created the creature, the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems, and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning. The sixth day. It all began in a garden, a luxurious domain with magnificent plants, and trees, and flowers. Eden. You know, imagine being there. You know, the intoxicating fragrances of orchids, roses, brilliantly coloured leaves, and blossoms surround you exotic fruits and vegetables are your nourishment, always ripe and ready to eat, washed by the mist of a tumbling waterfall. Sweet bird song mingles with the golden warmth of the father's love. It's absent of disease, destruction, or disappointment. This was the place of perfection. It was paradise. Now, there's so much that we can learn from the garden of Eden about the vegetation, the plants, the life that God breathed, the representation of those things. And something that really struck me as I was rereading this piece of scripture is, is really how the Garden of Eden was God's garden planted by God. And you're all probably now thinking, really, really? And that's really obvious, you know? They've thought that before. But you know, let's really consider that statement. The Garden of Eden was God's garden planted by God throughout Genesis 1 and 2 there are similarities and the types of verbs that are used and I've never i never noticed this before and you know where am like the words okay those of you that know me I've not noticed this before so Genesis 1: 1, 1 says God created Genesis 1:6 says God made Genesis 1:16 says God made. Genesis 1.20 says, God created. Genesis 1.25, God made. Genesis 1.27, God created. And we go to Genesis 2.8, God had planted. When it comes to the garden, he plants. He not only planted this garden, but he refers to it throughout scripture in a really personal way. In multiple places in the Bible, it refers, to the, it refers to the Garden of Eden as the Garden of God or the Garden of the Lord. Isaiah 51 verse 3 says, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the Garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanks thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Ezekiel 28 verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Now this brings an entirely different imagery to mind, doesn't it? You know, I'm not saying that, you know, God wore a big floppy straw hat and, you know, had a, a dirt under his nails. But I'm not saying that he didn't either that because we don't know, do we? Um, but I'm just saying that the picture of the Bible paints is, is, is God's very own hands. It's his involvement in planting a garden and he calls it his very own and this garden was indeed a very special place but it doesn't end in that garden okay yes the perfection the paradise that God had intended for Adam and Eve to enjoy that ended because sin came into the picture but throughout scripture there are motifs and references that always point us back to the first ever gardener to God. And we're going to have a little look at Psalm 80, or part of Psalm 80 today. Um, So Psalm 80, verses 8 to 11. Um, And it says this. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, it shoots as far as the river. So for some context, um, the vine is a familiar picture of Israel in the Old Testament. When, when the vine is used, um, especially within the Old Testament, and we see it in the New Testament, um, it does have symbolism of Israel. The vine, or this vine, was transplanted from Egypt and brought into the Promised Land. So what this scripture is saying is the vine, the Israelites, which means God's people, in effect, us, okay. They were taken from Egypt. Egypt symbolizes a lot of things within within the Bible. And um, for a lot of the time it, it symbolizes all those things that, that make us fail in life. You know, the downfall of the world. It's worldly things. Egypt represented that that sin to some extent. Okay? So God in Canaan, God planted it, making room by casting out the Canaanite nations. So many passages um, in the old testament speak of israel as the vine i've got those it's like deuteronomy 32 isaiah 5 verse 1 jeremiah 2 21 and then the new testament also applies the figure to israel and then more broadly to the people of god in general we we know that we are referred to you know the vine okay we see that in the book of john we are the vine Really interestingly, the vine is actually seen as a plant that is weak and lowly, and it needs quite a lot of support. When it's supported, it is wild and luxuriant. It's capable of producing the most valuable fruit. If you think about a lot of kind of um, uh, fruits uh, that, that that grow on the vine. Okay, there's some you know. We would be without our grapes, eh? Our grapes, and that obviously in the in the uh, Bible that that they are used quite a lot. Um, but if it is barren, if that vine is barren, if it is not producing fruit, the only thing it is fit for is flames. Go on the fire. It is fit then that God uses the vine to represent His people, because without Him we would be barren but because of him and through him, we flourish, we blossom and we bear fruit. You know, the scripture uh, in verse nine it states, that so the ground was cleared and the vine took root and it filled the land. And to God's blessing, they, the Israelites, God's people, us, took deep root and filled the land in a way that the variety of the Canaanite tribes had not, had not. They grew so strong and secure in the land that actually they did, they did what was botanically impossible. The vine, remember this weak and needy kind of imagery, okay, um, it grew as big as the mighty cedars and cast its shadows upon the hills. It became something strong. It became something fruitful because God blessed it. So what do we learn about this and how does this apply to us? So let's go back to that picture that God gave me, that wildflower meadow. A wildflower meadow gives a more kind of natural, relaxed feel and attracts pollinated insects and other wildlife. They grow best in, I found this really interesting, low quality soil. Grasses and weeds lying in the seedbed can't take hold as much as they would in nutrient rich topsoil, allowing wildflowers to germinate and grow. And one of the first pieces of advice given to us to plant in a wildflower meadow is to kill any grasses, weeds, or plants in the area. Exactly as it says in Psalm 18, verse 9, you cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. So the first thing that we need to do is make sure that our ground is clear. No matter how good your garden looks, You're a gardener, Steffi. You know what it's like. You spend hours, don't you? And it looks amazing for one week and then those weeds start popping up again. Um, You have to, you have to keep tending it. You have to keep, um, you know, working away. It's hard work keeping those weeds away, pulling them out. When was the last time you cleared the ground in your heart? When was the last time you went to God and said, God... How am I doing? What, what, what needs to be sorted out in me right now? In the natural, we see how quickly weeds spring up. How much so in the supernatural, in our lives. It may be that your heart feels disappointed. You've worked so hard, been loyal and served God for so many years, but right now you feel disappointed. You feel frustrated as though God owes you something. Maybe there are weeds and there's debris suffocating you, and you just feel overwhelmed, not knowing where to start. And if we want to grow, if we want to produce good fruit, you know we need to ensure that the ground is cleared. What kind of things clog up the ground? Just some examples, you know. Holy Spirit might be stirring things in in your heart right now. Bad attitude towards others and God, habits that prevent our pre, uh, prevent God from having full access to us um, and to our lives. Stuff. It's a bit generic, doesn't it? Stuff. Things that we fill our lives with. We all know this, you know, James was talking about this a few weeks ago. I mean, the nature of the world we live in, everything is now, 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 busy, 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 busy. If I've got to wait a minute, it's not fast enough, it's not good enough. But you know, more often than not, that means that we are constantly feeling um, drained. We're constantly feeling tired, which inevitably means we miss those moments, those nudges that God give us, God gives us when he's trying to get our attention. Maybe you're someone who checks the state of your heart regularly. Maybe you feel excited about where you're at with God right now. Maybe you're full of faith for for what God is doing in your life. Um, um, You know, we want to be like the parable of the sower, don't we, in Matthew 13, where the seeds of God sows in our lives, they multiply and become fruitful. They're long-lasting, but for this to happen, we need to be constantly checking our hearts, constantly reading getting rid of the rubbish that can so easily entangle and so easily ensnare us, stopping us from being the best version of us that God has called us to be. One of the other things that it says about the wildflower meadows is that they are natural and relaxed. And you know, that's one of the things I love about them, they're they're so different. There's not, you know, you walk through one wildflower meadow and it's not the same as another one that you go through. Um, They've not been forced or manipulated to grow in a certain way, they've been free to stretch up in the sun, to bend in the wind, soak up the rain. They demonstrate that sense of protection and safety um, that I talked about earlier. You know, it's the life that it represents. There is a natural and relaxed feel, feel about them, and that kind of meadow that's been created is similar to how that original gardener planted the original garden that we talked about in Genesis 1. It's a demonstration of family living harmoniously, and that's something that we really value here, isn't it, At King's Church within Shore. It's something that we really aspire to, family, that sense of being together and in all things together. But we all know that quite a lot of the time, family isn't harmonious. You know, it's often loud and messy. It's often hard work and I'm quite frankly exhausting, but it is also beautiful i love it when i look around here and i see some of our 17 year olds playing with our seven year olds you know or i love it when i see um just so many different kind of people who are from different backgrounds and cultures really kind of spending time to each other and getting to know it's beautiful when you see someone cook a meal for someone who's having a tough time but for us to know when we're finding things tough we need to be real with one another. When someone asks me how I am, do I put on an artificial face, like an artificial garden, and say, Oh good, all good here. Yeah. I'm doing good. Can I just say the majority of the time when you say that to me, I know when you're lying. And if I know you well, F, I'll dig. And you know that by now. <laughs> oh am I real and say, you know what? Things are actually really tough right now. I'm really struggling. That doesn't mean that we need to tell everyone why we're struggling. I'm not saying that we need to bear all to everyone. That's not what I'm saying. But it's it's coming against that artificial, I'm fine when we're not. It's okay to say, I'm not doing good. This is going on, if you want to say what's going on. And then what we do is we say, let's pray together. That's when we start, okay, to really, really kind of develop and grow in our relationships. We don't, you know, but there's there's a rawness and a vulnerability that comes with family, isn't there? And that takes work. It takes effort, and it can be exhausting. We all know that. Sometimes it's so much easier to say, yep, all is good. But in the long run, what we're doing when we do that is clogging up the beauty that God has created. Created with something artificial. God hasn't called us to be replicas of one another. He's called us to be unique, to be free, to grow and thrive. We do not need any more Rheans in the world. We do not need any more Ants in the world or any more Marys or any more Atkins. Okay? We carry something unique in what God has birthed within us. He doesn't want a bouquet of exactly the same roses he doesn't want that that doesn't demonstrate his glory it doesn't demonstrate his artistry or master gardener plans you know jeremiah 29 11 we all know this tells us for i know the plans i have for you plans to prosper not to harm your plans to give you a hope and a future he wants us to prosper he wants us to grow deep in his love he wants us to be true to him and true to, our, true to ourselves, not creating a false artificial garden, but a life that is full and rich and real. A life that reflects his beauty because we're free to be who he has called us to be. His creation. So I saw a picture of a wildflower meadow. It was a place of beauty and life. There were so many different flowers, different colours, it spoke of life and fruitfulness. God has not called us to feel trapped in by, uh, by big flower pots or flower beds. He's called us to demonstrate his life by being who he has called us to be his King's Church within Shaw. And that is a place of security and comfort. A place to make mistakes but learn from them. A place to be loved and cared for to be protected. A place to laugh and to make memories. A place that attracts life. He's called us to be a wildflower meadow. A garden that reflects his creation. Unique, beautiful home.